Oh God, you are my God. Father, would we all echo those words today? Would we echo the words of David? Oh God, you are my God. Father, as we look into uh, Psalm 63, we look into David again in the wilderness as he pins this song. Would you, would you grant us uh, eyes to see the way he worships you despite everything that is against him? He shows us in this song an amazing heart of worship, what the heart of worship is. So, Father, as we look at this song, um, yeah, would you grant us eyes, eyes to see what it is to worship you completely holy. Um, Father, would you, uh, would you take me up with your spirit, Lord, and use my words and to build your body, to encourage your body, to strengthen your body. He asks these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so thank you, Lydia Fay. I get to throw down the word of God this morning. Um, so one thing about me, I have a love-hate relationship with camping. Um, the older I get, the more I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly because tent camping can be very uncomfortable, right? When I was younger, sleeping on the ground wasn't so bad. The older I get, the more it hurts and the more I hate it. So the more I hate it, the less we do it. Uh, I have yet to find a good uh, mattress, cot, whatever, to be comfortable to have good rest while I camp. But the one thing that I do love about camping uh, is the fact that because I can't sleep, I get up when it's like, as soon as it's the light, the sun is beginning to shine. As soon as there is light on the horizon, I get up and it's, and make the coffee. And it is an absolute amazing time just to ponder God, ponder his creation, just to be there in nature, um, at sunrise. Uh, at home, I, I don't like it. I like the comfort of my bed, and uh, so it's hard for me to get up in the morning. But camping, or even hunting too. Hunting, I'll get up and enjoy uh, the sunrise, enjoy communion with God at first light. And uh, that was one of the themes that Charles Spurgeon, when he, he read and commented on Psalm 63, that is one thing he noted about David, is that David... When he was on the run, we'll see that David was on the run in this psalm, he would arise early. And, and he gets that in verse 1. Most of our translations actually will say, uh, in verse 1, it says, Earnestly I seek you. If you look in the Hebrew, if you look in the King James or the New King James, actually it'll say, I rise early. Uh, the Hebrew word there has something to do with the dawn. So it's almost a, a early arise that he's... David is going to commune with God um, all day. I mean, from first light 
and as we'll look in the psalm all the way till he is lying on his bed. And so this is a psalm of David uh, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And so when we look at this, we, we know of two times when David was on the run, when he was in the wilderness. One was when he was being chased by Saul, right, early on before he was king. Uh, and then two would most likely be this psalm, because in this psalm, he already mentions being king. So we can assume, we don't know for certain, that in this psalm, he is writing about his journey in the wilderness when Absalom was chasing him. His own son was hunting him down uh, to usurp the throne and take David's place as king. And so the story goes, if you want the, the context for this story, the story goes uh, right after, if we read in 2 Samuel, right after the David Bathsheba whole debacle, it moves on into another drama in David's life. We see his son Amnon um, and his other son Absalom and then his daughter Tamar in a big mess. Uh, different moms and stuff, half, half brother, half sister, but Amnon has feelings for his sister Tamar and he ends up defiling her. And so Absalom, enraged because Tamar is his full sister, seeks the life of Amnon. Years pass and finally he comes up with a plan and he slays Amnon. And then because of that, there's the rift there between David and his son Absalom. And Absalom ends up going off for a while, but then he devises a plan to come back to Jerusalem and to take the throne from David. And so at this point, David, because of all the stuff coming against him, he ends up leaving Jerusalem and he goes out into the wilderness where he pens this psalm. Um, and so I chose this psalm. I knew we were actually in Psalm 62, but we we're a day from 63. But I chose this uh, because it speaks so much to my soul. Um, so today, today you're going to hear a lot of... <laughs> I hope this psalm speaks as much to you as it does to me. Today is as much confession for me and soul healing for me uh, as it is a message for everyone. Um, so one thing about me, I, I love woodworking. Uh, one thing I like about woodworking is that I am able to, uh, I can take a, a design, take something in my head and just create it. Um, usually I just need a picture and dimensions, right? Just something to go on. I can create it in my head and I love being able to create it with my hands. One of the worst things for me, I had a guy give me a CAD drawing of a vanity he wanted. And it like had so many different dimensions and so many different pieces, like I didn't know what to do with it. For me, it's the creative um, process that I like. And yet it is the same creative process that has gotten me in trouble in so many different ways um, that has pulled me from worship. And so the backstory goes um, like this. Uh, years ago, before we actually moved to Schulenburg, most of y'all know we moved to Schulenburg and planted the church. Before we moved to Schulenburg, we were living in Pearland, Texas. I was working as a horse dentist, had a, a decent job, paid enough, um, and Homeschooling was good. The kids were young. Brandy was able to do so much with them, uh, field trips and so much. Um, I was blessed to be able to be the midwife by default for, for Lexi. I got to deliver her in my hands. Uh, 
yeah, it was probably the most beautiful, the most gooey, and the most terrifying 45 minutes of my life. But it was so sweet. Um, golf, I, I was, golf was going good. I was shooting under par every time I had my eyes set. I had my eyes set on playing mini tour events because in Texas they have some mini tour events. So actually I was working towards that. And then God called us away from all of that, away from uh, the kids had so many friends on the street. They had a little gang on our cul-de-sac that they had played with. And uh, God called us from all of that. And he brought us to Schulenburg to plant the church. Schulenburg has always had a special place in our heart. And so me, being the vision kind of guy, I was able to see it, right? I was able to see, okay, this is a good thing. God is calling us to a good thing. He has good things planned for us. And I could envision what the church would look like and, and how things were going to go. And then we moved out here and everything went totally opposite of what I thought. And, uh, you know, I kind of got in a funk. And then uh, it was at that time that we started coming to Muldoon, right? And uh, God being so good, um, we came on a Sunday, the very next Saturday, the Reese's were here and we got to hear the Reese's talk about missions. And uh, one thing Brandy and I, when we first got married, we always wanted to be involved in missions and we always wanted to adopt. There's two things that we, we saw God uh, pushing us to. And so we came here, no sooner we get here, the Reese's show up. But me still having kind of a pity party thing, I, I, I was excited to hear their story. They had learned. We didn't know anything about missions, right? And so we learned about this whole new world that was out there. But yet, I still wanted to have a little pity party, so didn't say a word. And we just sat in the corner, you know. I, I purposely sat over there, tried to hide. I just wanted to blend in. I didn't, didn't want to speak, didn't want to do nothing. Just wanted to hide. I wanted to heal for a while. Um, and uh, then, dang it, the Reese's came back <laughs> a couple months later and uh, started our journey into missions. And again, my woodworking thought, my, my creative thought, I began to see what missions would look like for our family. I began to build this vision of how it was all going to go, how, how um, man, just how amazing it was going to be to help the missionaries, the Reese family, Maliali, all those guys reached these tribes for the glory of God to spread the gospel there. So I had this wonderful vision in my mind, and then we go, and again, <laughs> nothing like what I planned it to be. It was so much harder, and then we ended up coming back, and coming back was even so much harder than even going, and uh, it took us a while to get our feet back under us when we got back. And so again, kind of having my pity party, right? I'm having this pity party again. Uh, God is doing good things. He's teaching us all, all sorts of things, but still I'm having this pity party and we come back. And um, yeah, just recently I, I got to go preach 10 weeks at the church in Schulenburg. And again, I got the, when I, I heard that it was coming up, when I heard I was having that opportunity and they were excited about me, having me there, it's like, again, the visionary thing starts working again. And I'm like, Okay, God, Schulenberg has always been a special part in our heart. What a, and that was actually the first church I've ever preached at too. So it was kind of going back as like, man, this is just full circle. This is like all coming together. This is going to be great. And I had this picture, this vision of everything, how it's all going to work and what it's going to look like. 
And again, uh, yeah, God had other plans. <laughs> and, and so again, I'm in the midst of that pity party at the moment. And, uh, and that's what it is. And, and so as I look at these things, I go, what is the lesson that I should learn from all of this? What is the lesson, God, that you are teaching me? Um, is it not getting caught up in visions? And I would say definitely not, right? I think God gives us these visions. He, I mean, how grand and glorious is it to, to, to envision a vibrant church in Schulenburg where people are getting saved? Uh, a grand and glorious vision to have a picture of uh, the Pei, the Maliali, Amdu tribes, Kaje, um, Wabaku, having these vibrant churches in the bush and being a part of that as grand and glorious. So I don't think it's uh, the getting caught up in the visions that was the problem. It was getting caught up in the process, um, wanting to serve God, but yet forgetting God himself, wanting the goodness of God and, and the visions and the goodness of God and serving him, the blessings of God, but yet in it all, forgetting God to worship God, the giver of all those good things. Um, so for me, the number one hindrance, the number one hindrance of worship is not busyness. It's not the busyness we have in our lives. Um, it's not that influx of media that's drawing our attention everywhere. Uh, it's not the dumbing down of Christianity that we see in so many churches. Um, we're, we get, yeah, just, just uh, how-to messages and such. But the number one hindrance for worship, to worship, for me to worship fully, and that I, I see this in others too, the number one, our hindrance to worship is that God is so good. And that sounds strange, right? How can that be a hindrance to worship, how can God being so good be a hindrance to worship? And so, here's what I, I, I see, and this is again the story of my salvation. It's the story of God sanctifying me today. And as we look at Psalm 63, uh, as we look at David and his heart, the heart of worship that David has, uh, we see this. And, and so, how is God being so good a hindrance to worship? It's because um, he gives us so much. He blesses us in so many ways. Uh, as we look, I just look out here and I see family after family and, and uh, husbands and wives and grandparents and, uh, and uh, people successful in work and uh, the ways God has blessed each and every one in here. And, uh, and it's so easy for us to get caught in the trap of just thanking God for the gift and yet forgetting God himself, the giver. Uh, and that was me. That was my, that's my whole salvation story. God has been good to me my whole life. I didn't know God. I didn't come to Christ until I was in my uh, middle twenties, late twenties, I think maybe, let's see, 2000. So I was 27. I didn't come to Christ till I was 27. So I had 27 years without Christ. And, but yet when I look back, through those 27 years, God was still so good to me. Uh, he gave me 
a good mind in school. He, he gave me a left arm that could throw a baseball 90 miles an hour. And if I had used that good mind he had given me, would have paid for all of my college. He gave me the ability to work with my hands, whether it was training horses or, or doing horse dentistry or doing woodworking. And yet, systematically through my life, he started taking the desire for each of those things away. He said, basically, looking back, I can see him like, okay, I'm going to give you this gift. And then if you don't give me the glory, give me the thanks, give me the praise for that gift. He slowly began to pull my desire for that away. And so that, that went on and on until finally I came to Christ. And um, yeah, even now, though, as I am growing in Christ, as I am being sanctified, as I'm uh, being conformed to the very image of Christ, I see that also that, uh, yeah, the good gift of bringing us to Schulenberg and giving us the vision for reaching the community for Christ and yet when that good gift didn't come out the way I wanted, I mean, it put me in a funk where I should have been like praising God for who he is, but yet circumstances would bring me down. And then when missions didn't turn out the way I wanted, I should have just praised God for the work he's doing for who he is. Uh, but yet I got into my pity party. And so, um, yeah, and so David, right? We can imagine David. Imagine David. You're an adulterer, you're a murderer, your family's an absolute wreck. You have a son who um, defiles your daughter. You have another son who kills your son. You have a son who wants to kill you. Um, and so you, you go off into the wilderness. Um, you seek refuge in the wilderness to escape this. David had every reason, every reason to have a pity party in the wilderness. He could have taken the royal wine. He could have built them a big bonfire and just, just had a grand pity party. But David didn't. What did David do? David David praised God in verse 3 David lifted up his hands to God uh, David praised him with joyful lips David sang songs David clanged to God during this time. He didn't have a pity party. Uh, he praised, he worshiped. He knew who God was and he worshiped him. And everything was you, right? I, I will cling to you. I will praise you. I will lift my hands uh, to you. I will sing, um, yeah, it's to you. Everything was to God. It wasn't about uh, the gifts, right? Everything. I mean, he, he, he was a gifted man. It wasn't, I'm praising you because of this. It was, I'm praising you because of who you are. 
And so David in Psalm 63 is showing us the very heart of worship. And he shows us four things. If we want to worship God like David, he, he gives us four things. And the first one is we have to know God. Uh, first one, oh God, you are my God. We could spend an hour talking about that. Um, David didn't have some flippant relationship with God. David didn't have some uh, off and on relationship with God. David um, had a powerful relationship with God. He knew God on a personal level and he knew God knew him personally. Um, I spent 10 weeks in Schulenburg preaching and I preached on Ephesians uh, 1 through 3, 10 weeks. And uh, the way Paul, Paul lines out Ephesians is the first three chapters of Ephesians, he basically has the Ephesians just sit, right? He, he tells them all the blessings they have in Christ. He tells them everything, um, man, the riches they have in Christ. He tells them of their uh, being chosen by God, being redeemed by Christ. He tells them of their inheritance. He tells them... Uh, Breaking down the, uni the, the, the unity that the Gentiles and Jews and all believers will have. He, he goes on about the spiritual blessings that we all have in Christ. And he does this. He tells us to sit. And then four and five, he'll tell us to walk. And then he tells us to stand. And he does this. Why, why does he do this? Why does he tell us to stand, to, to sit first? Because in order to walk, we have to know Christ. We have to uh, know who he is. And so he spends three chapters just reminding the Ephesians and reminding us of who God is. And that is the key to worship, is to know who God is. Um, I think it was um, uh, Doug Wilson who, who said life is... Uh, imitation uh, that if you're blind and you try to paint a picture it's just going to be everywhere right and if you you need glasses to see and you take the glasses off and you're squinting and you're trying to paint a picture it might be a good impression right but to paint a beautiful picture to paint a, a correct picture you have to see correctly you have to know who God is if we're going to worship God we have to know God and David knew this he said oh God you are my God and this leads um, oh and this is yeah it's that intimate knowledge and I think for some of us too we think uh, yeah maybe we don't realize what we have in Christ uh, we think that when we were chosen by God that, uh, yeah, maybe we were the last to be chosen. You know, on the school playground when you're the last kid to be chosen to play. Uh, but that's not who God is, right? He doesn't divide himself between all his believers. He is, we have within each of us the very fullness of Christ. We get it all. And that's what uh, Paul reminded us in Ephesians, that we have all of Christ. We don't get just a piece we're not the last to be picked. We have all of Christ. And that is what David says to, oh God, you are my God. Um, 
And knowing this, right, knowing God will lead to David's second point, and that is to thirst after God. He says, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you. What did he thirst for? He, he longed, he, he knew of the power, he knew of the glory of, of, of God that he saw in the sanctuary, and he longed for that. He thirsted for that. Um, and he knew of the steadfast love of God. And he says, I want that more than I want life. Um, that's what uh, yeah. Paul, Paul says the same things in Acts that we'll, we'll get to when we get to Acts 20. Uh, he says, and Brandy has tried to get me to say this for a while now, but... Uh, he says, my life means nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus gave to me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Paul knew it and David knew it. That apart from Christ, uh, yeah, life meant nothing. But, uh, but fellowship with God, being in the presence of God, that was more precious than life itself and then it moves on David moves on to number three and that is to be satisfied by God so many times we we will we can thirst right we can thirst for a lot of things and sometimes it doesn't satisfy us um, if we look at our culture now culture is thirsting after things it doesn't know and it's just going in all sorts of different directions and uh they will not be satisfied. Only Christ can satisfy. And David knew this. He said, my soul will be satisfied with the fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. So knowing God and then thirsting after God. Then he was satisfied. It reminds me of... Uh, there are things in our young days for us older people, <laughs> young people, it probably doesn't matter. Yet. But uh, when we look back, we, we have these memories of things that uh, we liked as a kid, liked as a youth. Um, and then as we grow older, for some reason, sometimes these things pop back in our minds. It's like, oh yeah, I remember when I really liked that movie, liked that candy, liked whatever it was. And then so we kind of, have this thirst then for it this longing for it and then we go and we buy it whatever it is or watch it again or listen to it whatever it is and then it's like how did i ever like that it's like so disappointing so unsatisfying uh but christ will always satisfy um yeah the very power the very glory the steadfast love that david longed for that he thirsted for not only sustained him it satisfied him he had this and that is the heart of worship right it's not just praising for the the sake of praising um, but it is to be satisfied uh, by God himself by Jesus himself it's that satisfaction uh, that we get from him um Imagine David in the wilderness, right? He, he's um, no longer uh, in the comforts of his castle. He's um, 
out and about in the wilderness, sleeping on rocks, under trees, uncomfortable. He's eating a can of beans, you know, over the campfire. That's all he's got. You think he's longing, eating that can of beans? You think he's longing for the, longing for the fatted calf? Is he longing for things of the past? No. Um, he enjoys his beans. And he, he sits there and he enjoys the beans simply because God is his all in all. He is completely satisfied with God that any of the circumstances around him won't take that satisfaction away. And finally, David, um, the very heart of his worship is that he rejoices But the king, verse 11, but the king shall rejoice in God. Uh, that verse is surrounded by uh, the people who are the liars and the people who are seeking his life. He can rejoice because uh, God is everlasting. Uh, David doesn't have to worry uh, that if Absalom catches up to him and his armies take David out, he doesn't have to worry because Worship doesn't stop. He knows worship doesn't stop at the moment he dies. He knows worship goes on for eternity. Christ is everlasting. We worship because no matter what befalls us, whatever happens to us, we know that we will continue to worship, that we will worship into eternity. Um, so no matter what happens to our country, no matter what happens to this world, what ha no matter what happens to our finances, no matter what happens to our health, and we can go on and on, no matter what happens, what happens with these earthly things, we worship because Christ is everlasting. Everything else is temporal, but Christ goes on and on. David knew the ending. David knew the ending of the story. That's, that's how David's worship was so powerful. He knew the ending. He knew justice would be served, and he knew he would enjoy God forever. Let's pray. Father, uh, oh God, you are my God. Father, would it be so? Would we find our absolute delight? Would we find our absolute purpose? Our, our all in all, not in, in, in the good gifts that you give. Yes, we thank you for those. We praise you for those. But would we long to enjoy you. Would we long to simply give? Every good gift were stripped away. Would we still be the most joyful people in the world because we have you? Father, would you make that so? Would you 
work in our lives. Help us to see that you and you alone are our treasure. You are our joy. You are our hope. You are so worthy to be praised. And because of this, would you elevate our worship? Would we be a church who continues to go all out in the worship of you because of who you are? We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name.